Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. Hello, good evening. Welcome to Eyewitness News coming to you live from our studios here at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Salom Adonu. Tonight I'm here with Akosia Oche. Coming up over the next 90 minutes. At long last, we've come to the end of this matter. And the judge, in his wisdom, decided to impose 15 years custodial sentence on Atuisian. I think the court has spoken and will take that decision in good faith. Former Capital Bank boss Atuisian jailed for 15 years. Following his failure to fully pay the 90 million CDs, he agreed to have stolen in a plea bargain deal with the state. Tell you more on this later. Also coming up, thousands of residents in the Volta region cry for help as spilled water from the Akosombo Dam takes over their homes, forcing them to sleep hungry in overcrowded spaces. Later on, Eyewitness News Ministry of Finance assures cash-trapped Gold Coast Fund management customers of efforts to work around legal hurdles to repay their locked up funds. Stay with 97.3 City FM for more on this and other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business, we'll hear from the IMF who have clarified Ghana's growth rate projection. Eyewitness News is live across the country on all and on all our affiliates around the globe at citynewsroom.com. Uh, if you are in the western region, this is at Dream Power 100. Uh, point seven FM in Takwa Beach, one zero five point five FM in Takradi, and Sky Power ninety three point five FM in Takradi. Um, in the Bono region, this is Greener ninety five point nine FM in Sunyani. In the Shanti region, Adrinipa, Adrinipa ninety nine point nine FM in Kawie. In the Volta region, this is Heritage one zero seven point three FM in Hohoi and Freedom eighty eight point one FM. In Sogakofe. In the northern region, this is Radio Gaki 88.3 FM in Saboba and Quality 88.7 FM in Garu in the Upper East Region. Nobia FM 98.1 FM in Narelugu uh, in the Northeast uh, Region. Your comments are welcome via WhatsApp line 0549 We'll go to our very first story where the former chief executive officer of the defunct uh, Capital Bank, Atuisian, has been jailed for 15 years in prison with hard labor. This follows his failure to make full payment of 90 million cities he agreed to make to the state in December 2022. Atuisian pleaded guilty to 16 counts of stealing, money laundering, and conspiracy to steal for his role in the collapse of the uh, Capital Bank. And all this happened in a plea bargain arrangement he had with the state towards the end of that trial, which he had earlier pleaded not guilty too. Uh, out of the 90 million cities, Mr. Asian has paid 30 million cities. A major condition for the agreement, the plea bargain agreement, was that the court will not hesitate to impose the custodial sentence if it misses any of the payment deadlines. But between January this year to October uh, 12, our two Asian had only paid 7 million cities in addition to the 30 million previously paid. With 53 million cities of the agreed sum outstanding, the judge, having exhausted his patience, allowed the state to move the application. The judge, upon hearing the application of the state, jailed Atuisian to, to, to 15 years uh, in prison. My colleague, um, Hansen Ajiman, I was in court today. There are two issues in court, actually, but we'll take it one after the other. Atuisian's matter, uh, and he's joined me in the studio. 
uh, to give us an update on what really uh, took place, how Kamatuese uh, has been jailed for 15 uh, years. Hansen, welcome to the program. Kotsula, I'm sure was quite interested. The legal year is just starting and things are heating up. Um, talk to us about this case. Um, the judge jailed him for 15 years, but for people who may not have been following, um, how come Atuesian got into trouble with the state? What really is Atuesian's story in respect to the criminal charges? Well, so the state in 2017 and in 2018 began the banking sector cleanup and began to look into the books of some banks, and one of the banks involved was Capital Bank. Now, it came to the point that the state uncovered that some monies were given to certain banks who were struggling mm. at the time to help these banks. Now, as part of the facts against Atu Isien, was that some of the monies that were given to him to help salvage the uh, Capital Bank he took those monies from the uh, the state and instead of using them to help in revitalizing Capital Bank, he used those monies to open a different bank account. And so the case against Atu Asian is that he stole some monies that were given to him for the purpose of revitalizing the bank mm. and also some deposits belonging to uh, customers. customers and so the state took a criminal note on, on on this matter and came in with 16 charges against him and so uh, for a, a greater part of 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 uh, from 2019 the state had been prosecuting him on these 16 charges on stealing conspiracy to steal and money laundering the state, the, the case traveled all the way to the point where the court delivered uh, its ruling on whether the case, the state made a, a, a prima facie case against Atu Asian or not. Atu Asian opened his defense, and December last year, that was December one, uh, the court was expected to pronounce judgment on the matter. I remember that day very well. Uh, Justice Eric Chaber for he had stepped into the courtroom uh, ready to deliver his judgment only to find out that uh, just on november 30 that some two days before that the state had entered into a plea bargain mm. with atu isian under section 35 uh, subsection 7 of the courts act mm. essentially what that section says is that when somebody is facing criminal charges for causing financial loss to the state and that person thinks that or believes that he is guilty, he can decide to plead guilty and go into an agreement to pay an amount of money that is described as reparation and restitution money. Mm. And instead of custodial sentence being imposed on that person, he will be rather made to pay the fine. Mm. Justice Garrick J. Balfour didn't take it lightly because he said he had spent enough time to think through the case gone through all the evidence about 17 witnesses were called by the state he analyzed the state's case analyzed the defense and had written his judgment ready to read so but he at the time also disagreed with the state that uh, the case involving the matter really is a financial loss to the state because one condition there were two conditions to be met for 
this plea bargain to go through. That one, it should be a case where you've caused financial loss to the state. And two, it is at the discretion of the court. And he's saying that because he didn't at the time believe that there was a matter of financial loss to the state because Capital Bank was a private bank, in his view, he couldn't have agreed to it. Moreover, he didn't like the idea, and the 90 million was too uh, small for him. So the case was adjourned from December 1 to December 13. Mm -hmm. And then, among the things that the prosecution and Atuisian's lawyers were supposed to consider mm. were the issues about if indeed the, the money was uh, a matter of uh, uh, state money mm -hmm. that had occasioned financial loss to the state, mm -hmm. and also to the fact that if that 90 million, there can be an addition to it, to mm -hmm. the repayment of that 90 million. The state came back, convinced the judge that it is indeed a loss to the state because the state, upon taking over capital bank had to make certain payments mm. to the customers of capital bank mm. and again the 90 million was a good bargain for the state because the state the the, the, the asian asian started from as little as a little above 20 million mm. and so the state was able to get him to come to 90 million and so the state thought it was that it was a good deal for them so the judge, upon listening to them, agreed to that, took the plea of Atu Asian. And Atu Asian was supposed to pay 90 million. 30 million on the day of agreeing to the deal. Mm -hmm. And he indicated to the court that, of course, in showing some form of good faith to this agreement, in showing some form of good faith to this agreement, he paid the 30 million on December 13. Mm. It was left with 60 million. The 60 million was supposed to be paid in three tranches mm. 20 million by April 28, mm -hmm. 20 million by August 31, mm -hmm. and the other 20 million by December 15. So the two deadlines, the April and the August one, elapsed, it, and, and he never made any they've, payment. They've elapsed, and he's made just 7, seven, million. seven million instead of 40 million. Instead of 40 million. Did he give the court any excuse or explanation why he failed to raise the money? Now, he indicated to the court that he wanted to liquidate some properties mm. uh, he owned at Pram Pram and that he had gone into agreement with a certain company to liquidate these uh, these properties to, to, to be able to offset this debt, I mean, if I can put it that way, owed to the state. But it, it also came to light that another company in a separate civil matter had obtained judgment on these properties and attach these properties mm. and so he was not, he's not been able to liquidate these monies uh, these properties to be able to pay now what happened was that on april, on april 28 uh, on may 2 so after the april 28 deadline on may 2 the office of the special the the attorney general's department uh, the case was prosecuted by the deputy attorney general mm. Alfred Tuyaiboa. If I actually have him on the line now, Alfred Tuyaiboa is the Deputy Attorney General to, to help us. Um, I mean, he, he was in there. He 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 started it. He, he he saw it through, generally. I'm not sure if he started, but he was the main man. He was the go-to person in respect of this particular case. Uh, hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to Eyewitness News. You should be satisfied uh, as a state prosecutor or as, as government uh, uh, lawyer uh, uh, to, to, have, to have secured this particular custodial sentence against a criminal. 
Thank you very much, Arada. Yes, we went to court to prosecute our matter. We got to a point where we decided to utilize Section 35. And by Section 35, if you default, you have to be jailed. And today the court just did that. I see. Were you surprised at the severity of the sentence, 15 years, or were you expecting more? If you look at the charge of stealing, it's possible that we can be sentenced to 25 years in prison. For that matter, the judge within his discretion decided to give him 15 years on the funeral camp. So I think it's within the remit. Yes, I, I know it's within the remit of, of the of the court to, to have done that, but I'm asking of your personal view as 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 lawyer for the state, you know, sometimes the state wants, you know, stiffer punishments. Other times, to maybe uh, the plea of mitigation is made, uh, the state, you know, just agrees and says, okay, the court should be lenient with the person. So in this particular case, do you consider 15 years to be deterrent enough or you think it could have been more? It's a reasonable sentence. Uh, I see. So uh, what happens to the rest of the money now? Uh, does, it, does it still pay or once it serves the sentence, that, that, that cleans it up? That's not the end of the matter. There are standing some. If he, he serves this sentence, the state will still pursue him and get the remaining amount. So it's not as if he's going to serve and then the amount will also be forfeited. No. So that amount will still be pursued. But how will he do that? He wouldn't be academic because he said he wanted to liquidate some of his properties. And if he was able to do so, I'm not sure he would have been behind bars. So he has nothing now. And and his seven jail term. How are you going to retrieve the money or when he comes back and he works and he makes money? The state will go after him. Is is that what we are looking at? If he's a man of straw, then it means that after the jail sentence, the state will not get anything. But if we're able to trace his own encumbered property, then we'll go after that. In a civil action. Yes. I see. But but talk to me about it, the plea bargain pro provision. How useful do you think this this has been a, a tool that you and the convict now deployed in this particular matter? Yes, in this particular matter, the state has been able to retrieve 37 million Ghana cities from the convict. And so he's also serving 15 years imprisonment. Maybe if he had not refunded the 37, he could have gotten higher. That's within the, the, the division of, of, of the judge. But as far as we are concerned, we entered into this agreement with him under Section 35 with the understanding that you go by the terms of the agreement, he made some commitment by paying 37, you couldn't go through the entire agreement. That amount that he paid, the state has taken it, then he has to also go and then serve the 15 years. I see. Given that the state has, has recouped some of the money, of course, we don't know how the state will get the, other, the, the, the rest maybe later, but you said you, you will still civil action. That's if there are things to, to be recouped or to, to, be, to be sold to, to, to recoup that money. Uh, given that you made some money from this, the, the $37 million, otherwise you know, it would have been difficult, will you say that the tool of plea bargain uh, should be used more actively by the state going forward so that at least some monies could be retrieved rather than just throwing the people into jail, whereas most often you don't even get the money back? Yes. I will encourage that we make use of Section 35 as well as the Plea Bargaining Act. But only day, if you have been charged with an offence and you may want to approach the state and take advantage of Section 35, the state will be, will be welcoming to that. And if you also want to take advantage of the Plea Bargaining Act, the 
state will be willing to listen to you, provided you give various terms that are uh, 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 agreeable to the state. To give very good terms, we will agree with you. But everybody should remember that if we, if we agree with you and then you default, the same fate that has befallen the convict will also come your way. I, I see. That, that's interesting. Uh, um, th- thanks so much for speaking to us and a uh, good job done. Uh, we, we hope that the, the other cases to travel and see uh, conclusion. But uh, early days here, but do you have an indication if Atuasen and his team will want to appeal this decision? He has the right to appeal against the sentence, but we have not had any indication yet. All right. Very well. Thank you so much, the Honorable Deputy Attorney General of Ghana, uh, Alfred Tua Yeboah, for speaking to us on Eyewitness. Um, Hansen is still here with me. There was another matter in court today. Uh, Cecilia Dapa was in court today. Uh, they were to hear an application in uh, respect of uh, the, the special prosecutor's application for confirmation of seizure and freezing orders. Um, the time was abridged. But we understand that the lawyers for special prosecutor, the special prosecutor lawyers, uh, had an issue with the judge. And, and, and Hansen, what, what exactly uh, is the matter? Why do they want the judge removed? And which judge is this? Well, the judge, um, he was the one who presided over the first confirmation application for which the court outrightly rejected. And this is an administrative approach that has been taken by lawyers of the Office of the Special Prosecutor to get the judge to recuse himself. And so the Office of the Special Prosecutor, upon coming to a determination that in their own view, the judges uh, prejudice against them, uh, could have asked the judge himself to recuse himself or go to the Chief Justice. And so they've written to the Chief Justice for her to remove the judge. The content of that petition, we do not know yet. But in court on Thursday, the judge announced in open court that he has been served of, an, of, 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 of the petition to the Chief Justice. Subsequent to that, the Office of the Special Prosecutor put up a statement on social media platform X, previously known as Twitter, where the Office of the Special Prosecutor indicated that they believe that Justice Edward Chum has prejudice against one, the office of the special prosecutor, and two, the person of the special prosecutor, that is Kisie Jabin himself. And as a result, they are asking the Chief Justice to uh, prevent Justice Edward Chum from presiding over this case involving Madame Cecilia Dapa and any other case with respect to the office of the special prosecutor. I, I see. Uh, quite interesting. But did the special prosecutor support its statement or release with any evidence of, 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 I don't want to call it bias, but, you know, but did they support their claim with, with any evidence or instances where they think that uh, the justice of the high court did not deal fairly with the person of the special prosecutor and the office of the special prosecutor? We've, we've not had the opportunity of speaking to the office of the special prosecutor yet. His lawyers were not in court, for which uh, lawyers of Madame Cecilia Dapa took issue with. And again, we've not cited this letter to the chief justice, and so we cannot speak of the specifics. But what we know is that on August 31, Justice Edward Chum delivered a, ju- a, a ruling on a confirmation order to freeze 
Madame Cecilia Dapé's bank account and to seize some 2.83 million Ghana cities and $590,000 that were found in her home at Abelengpe. Justice Edouchum took the view that the Office of the Special Prosecutor has not been able to give tangible reasons to suggest that these monies are tainted properties. To say tainted properties, meaning that they are proceeds of corruption, acquired through corruption, or linked to any corruption-related cases. We again know that just yesterday, Justice Edward Chum agreed with lawyers of Madame Cecilia Dapa for the second confirmation case, which was initially scheduled to be held, held on October 18, to be moved forward to today, October 12. We only know that Justice Edward Chum has so far taken these two decisions, which appear to go in uh, against the office of the special prosecutor. But as to if he has done any other thing else to suggest that he's prejudiced against the office of the special prosecutor and the person of the, spe the, the special prosecutor, that is Kisie Jabin, that we do not know yet and that we are yet to be told or we are yet to get privy to any documents that suggest same. But for Cecilia Dapes lawyers, they are unhappy with how this matter was handled. They are saying that looking at how important today's application was to their client because she's already made the point that the continuous freezing of her account and seizure of her money is causing her hardship. And the fact that the Office of the Special Prosecutor's Lawyers failed to come to court today and give them proud notice, they found it very uh, disappointing. Again, they thought that the Office of the Special Prosecutor has not given due respect to the courts because in the words of Victoria Bath, who is leading the legal team for Madame Cecilia Dapa, she's yet to know of any law or any rule of procedure where a lawyer, by virtue of saying that he has petitioned the Chief Justice to remove a, lawyer, a, a judge from a case, would decide not to appear in court even before the Chief Justice takes a decision on the matter. <laughs> that, that, that's quite interesting. All right. Uh, thanks so much, uh, uh, Hansen Ajiman, for, for bringing us up to speed uh, with matters in court today. Two issues. Uh, Atuisen, uh, former... Uh, Chief Executive Officer of the Capital Bank has been jailed for 15 years. Also, uh, Cecilia Dapes' lawyers are unhappy with the Office of the Special Prosecutor for not showing up in court today because the Office of the Special Prosecutor says they have petitioned the CJ to remove the judge on the matter because they feel that with the judge sitting on the matter, the office will not get justice. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. Some of your messages that have come through. AS says, where is the board chairman for Atu ACN? Is he walking free or he is going with Atu ACN? Uh, John, John from Kofuruda says, if the whole CEO of a reputable financial institution like the Capital Bank was involved in such an act, then we are in serious trouble. As trust in the financial sector is diminishing. Okuro Yaboim Breman says uh, Atuesian has been jailed according to the laws of our land. What about those who have hands in Isophoton, Jida, Sada, and Bass branding corruption scandals? It's been almost 10 years now and nothing has been done about it. Babamu in Tamale says, I think Mr. Atuesian jail centers will serve as a deterrent to others. I pray the NDC will not claim the judge didn't give fair trial to Atuesian. Kudos to AG and his team. 
Uh, John Sadoboy in La says, Good evening, Salom. Uh, as much as I agree with the decision of the court, putting such an industrious man <laughs> behind bars is useless and rather put additional burden on the very state. Ghanaians are not angry enough. That's Adoboy, uh, just Adoboy. Lottie Jones from Assume says, if Governor Addison, uh, Governor of the Bank of Ghana, Ad, uh, NS Addison, can put, can print about 80 billion CDs and subsequently declare a loss of about 45 billion CDs at the VOG, then when government changes changes hands, he might be, uh, he might be castrated for life. That's what you're saying. We men's good customers now have hope that number one can go for 50 years. Well, Kojo Jones from Assume says, can operator will join him sooner or later? Well, uh, um, these are some of your messages that have been um, coming through. Eyewitness News, I'll take a short break, return, and we'll deal with other matters, including what's been happening in the Akosombo area because of the spillage of that dam. Don't go away. Eyewitness News, be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. Now, hundreds of residents in the North Tong district of the Volta region are facing a severe crisis as water from the Akosobo Dam as spillage engulfs their homes. The overflow has led to substantial losses with some individuals scrambling to save personal belongings and also relocating to higher grounds for safety. The community is grappling with the disruption of essential services as both water and electricity supply has been cut off. City News is in the community and has been speaking to an affected victim. I have been affected just yesterday. My whole house has been flooded or submerged. Yes. And how did you manage to cope? You seem a bit okay this morning. Mm, yes, I feel a bit okay. I packed my things to Bato. Oh, okay. So you've moved to the neighboring community, which is Bato. Yes, please. Have you ever witnessed such a thing before? No. This is my first time. What is your concern here? My concern is that uh, we used to initially access water from the main uh, river over there. But due to the spillage, we can no more access the water from the other side. And uh, we've, we've been disconnected from, from using the electricity we have in our town, which is a source of pumping the pipe that we, we get drinking drink water from. So as it stands, there's no drinking water in town. And we are calling on, on, on government to bring us drinking water and food because the food vendors cannot come out and sell for us because they don't even know where to locate their They are saving their lives and they've left all their food stuff inside their room and the water has come to us, take over from there. So it is making it so difficult for us to even get food and good drinking water. Since last night, I've not taken water. So you had there a resident of Mepe in the North Tong district of the Volta region uh, whose home has been submerged in floodwaters as a result of the spillage of the Akusumbo Dam. Now let's hear from an engineer with the Electricity Company of Ghana in the Volta region, engineer Michael Boying, who says that his outfit is playing its role to ensure safety. We needed to isolate the south station um, for safety and also for reliability of power supply. And so as we speak, the substation is completely isolated. The workmen you see there are trying to salvage 
instruments and other uh, critical equipment that needs to be taken care of. And so that's the situation. The station is off and, and, and we are seeing uh, how we can best supply our customers. Which areas are affected by this power um, outage? Well, so as you can see, um, the whole of Adidome is off. Uh, Sogakope and beyond is off. Um, Dabala is off. Aduta is off. Um, the naval base is off. And so chunk of our customers have been affected uh, because of what we, we, we are seeing here. And so our engineers, myself and my colleague engineers, are trying hard to wheel power from other sources to serve these customers. Uh, as you can see uh, on the pool and the work they are doing, that is the exercise as we speak now. When you say you are going to wheel power from other sources, can you explain that to us? Okay, so the network is such that it's, it's in a ring system to the extent that when you have a problem at one side, you can send power from the other side to the place. So we've got a BSP in uh, Aplau as we speak. Um, our colleague engineers, uh, ECG and Grico, are trying to up uh, the capacity of the installation there. So we'll be able to um, push power from Aplau and uh, Denu area to the Sogakope Kombo Niketa area. How soon would that be? Uh, looking at the fact that you have a critical health service provider like the Sugarpa District Hospital within these affected areas, we, we are looking at by close of day, we should be able to service every customer that we have uh, who has been affected by this critical situation. And um, we think also that uh, we are also exploring that we can build power from Tema uh, through um, from Japan and the, the other one, uh, you know, from Tema region to Volta region. These are all options we are looking at. You know, it, it, it doesn't come quick. You, you need to do a lot of um, analysis and consideration, especially the safety of our equipment and the human beings who are working for us. Did the water get to this facility before it was shut down or um, you preempted this and you quickly went into shutdown? Well, it started coming and we saw that, no, we needed to evacuate uh, power from the place. And so yesterday, I think about uh, the district manager called. We did the assessment on phone and all that, and we saw that no, we need to take the power off. Is anything damaging there? No. Engineer Michael Boahing is with the electricity company of Ghana in the Volta region. Well, let's speak to uh, Fred Duho. Fred Duho is a City News reporter who has been on the ground. Indeed, he was the one speaking to. Uh, uh, the persons you just heard in that voice clip, and um, you've got them on the line to, to help us appreciate really what uh, the, the current situational report is. Uh, Fred, uh, good evening. Welcome to Eyewitness News. Uh, we spoke earlier in the day, uh, and, and that's when you filed this report and, and said all the things that you said. But between now and then, or between then and now, you know, has anything changed? Has power, has power been restored to the people? Uh, what, what can you say in respect of that? Um, Salam, good evening and good evening to our listeners. I can confirm that as we are driving through town, specifically within the South Town District, uh, we've seen a number of homes currently having light. So I can confirm that power has been restored to this particular area. We are driving further to see by the time we approach, some residents um, are along the stretch within the North Town area, whether they would also have light. So currently, within the South Tongue, I can say power has been restored and uh, activities basically 
for those who have not been affected in this whole incident uh, are going about uh, normally. And uh, I can also say that aside the fact that power has been restored, a number of people will still be sleeping this evening with that sort of fear of the water getting into their homes. Uh, I say so uh, because after speaking to the GRA in one of our interviews, they made it to us that uh, they foresee possible spillage uh, in the coming hours and even in the coming days, as long as the water volume in the Akusumbu Dam uh, is about to approach a level which they don't really want to uh, believe that it, it, it should get to. But if at all costs, the rains as we see it now, and they are also having to do with the fact that our neighbors upstream, I think that is Cote d'Ivoire, the more they also spill their dam into our uh, lake, uh, that is where they also would you, have You to mean Burkina Faso? Burkina Faso, rather, sorry. Burkina Faso, the more they also um, spill their water to our end, uh, they will have no option than to release those excess water in order to prevent the dam from, from breaking. Because from the look of things, if the volume reaches that level that the prey we don't get to, uh, in effect, they are doing all these possible or putting these possible measures in place to ensure that the dam itself uh, do not break. Because the moment this dam breaks, which is the Akusumbo Dam breaks, I mean, the consequences will be dire than what we witness now. So uh, it basically means that all this that is happening, the flooding, uh, occupying people's homes, and people have to deal with this devastation, uh, is basically a price that people are paying for us to safeguard the Akosombo Dam. And that is the impression I got after uh, a brief interview with the PRA on the field today. I see. You know, what can you say about relief efforts? Because we heard some uh, opinion leaders in the area say that the people, some of the people had to go to bed last night hungry, they had nothing to eat, etc. Uh, and in fact, uh, some MPs have had cause to uh, say that NADMO was not doing its job well, the district assemblies were virtually on their knees, nothing really was happening. What can you say about relief efforts so far? Salam, we visited at least three, okay, we visited three uh, districts, the North Tong, South Tong, and Central Tong. It was only in Central Tong that we went to a particular village that we saw the NADMO district officer with his men trying to give uh, some relief items. And these relief items consist of packets, soap, oil, uh, mosquito nets, uh, and bags of rice. And these people, actually, they were on a particular island, and the island is totally submerged. So they were evacuated to a neighboring uh, community where they are being catered for. So that is the only relief item I saw on the field. He was asked the question whether this is enough. He said, yes, they have some uh, in stock uh, in their office, in their warehouse, that they believe that as and when uh, the situation gets to normalize, they are able to evacuate people, settle them properly in uh, either schools or even in other communities, then they'll be able to move in with the relief item they have at hand. But they also use the opportunity to ask that uh, they, they can't really say this will be much to cater for the numbers that we are seeing. Because in actual fact, putting the three districts that we've visited together, 
I can say that no less than 5,000 people have been affected. And the households, you know, uh, these aged people, women and children being the most vulnerable, they would have to really rely on a number of relief items until this whole uh, situation is resolved. Because one, their kitchens are submerged, they have their food totally gone, uh, even we've seen farmlands being taken over by this flood. So in essence, they have no food, nothing. Some of them would have to just save their life by living in what they are wearing. Uh, so in, if these people do not have breakfast, lunch, and in, uh, supper in some cases, uh, at the benevolence of some people or even the government, uh, I think is going to be uh, a, a serious issue that we see it now. They will go hungry. I see, but this matter of the the spillage of the of the Akosumbo Dam for for many people, this is the very first time a thing like this is happening. Uh, how often does this happen? When was the last time uh, you know the the VRA decided to to spill the Akosumbo Dam? Would you know? Do you know? Salom, uh, uh, this I would say my first time uh, seeing this situation. Uh, sometimes you come to the Sogakofe Bridge, which is the lower water bridge, and you see the volume of water moving with a certain speed. And that should tell you that probably there is some force behind that water. But that I thought it was just one of those things, a, a usual lake flowing to make it into the sea. But apparently this has given me a clearer indication that the DRA is operating over the period has been there, but it's been on the quiet, and not much of it has been felt this way. This one has come in very large volumes that uh, is broken its bounds in terms of the banks of the lake, and communities that are dotted along the lake are generally affected. When you take a drone shot like my colleague did today, and you see the images, the videos, you see a very wide field, land totally occupied by water. You see homes that are buried to even the roofing shed. And that should tell you that the devastation is very, very serious. Story buildings, you see the down floor totally gone. People today uh, manage to go to the first floor or even the rooftop to be able to save their lives. And they were on top of this uh, story building that uh, I would describe it as uncompleted just to save their lives. So they moved to the floor in order to be safe. Almost everyone in these communities today, we're relying on a canoe to be able to gain access to an, an elevated ground to be able to escape this volume of water that is entering into their homes uh, unannounced. Uh, the VRA, uh, when we went to Central Tong District, that was where I saw two signboards. Uh, one of them looking very new, but the other uh, a full. Uh, based on uh, the painting. And I saw the inscription on it indicating that evacuation ground run to safety. So those were the two signs that really caught our attention. And like, oh, okay, so it really means that if indeed something of this nature happened, they had community engagement. And the folks who today also mentioned that they've done community engagement on a large scale this time around. Aside for the fact that COVID came in in 2019, uh, after I was 
come in to testify in court in Canada. All right. It appears, yes, it appears our line to to, to Fred is is is, uh, is is getting bad. Um, I can understand because it's in transit. But Fred, I mean, finally, before you go, uh, what what can you say? Is the water level receding or the spillage is still ongoing? What, what can you say? Hello, Fred. Uh, hello, Fred. Well, I think Fred's line is is is, is getting terrible uh, by the minute. Uh, okay, so um, thanks so much, Fred. Fred Duho, uh, City News correspondent or City News reporter, uh, we deployed to cover the flooding situation in the uh, Isujaman and Northong area, specifically where uh, they are having to face a brunt of the spillage of the Akosombo Dam. The pictures are horrible, and a lot of houses have been submerged and. Uh, we call on um, relief agencies, NADMO and Co., to go and assist the people there. People are really, really, really suffering due to this particular spillage. All right, so we, we move to some other story now. Um, some workers of the Ghana Broadcasting Corporation are demanding the immediate removal of their director general following what they say is mismanagement of the state broadcaster. The workers who mounted banners outside the premises of the GBC say the director general who has barely served his four-year tenure must go. Samuel Nathaniel Kevo is a divisional chairman of the Public Sector Workers Union of the Ghana Broadcasting Corporation. All right, um, so actually, uh, Samuel is actually on the line. Uh, so, uh, Samuel, uh, good evening. Welcome to um, Eyewitness News. Why will you say that uh, your director general has mismanaged the state broadcaster? Uh, good evening to your shared listeners. Uh, this is not an issue uh, I would have necessarily spoken about on air. I believe in the internal matters to be discussed and the internal arrangements. But for the issue that came out into the public and the management's several relationship with the union that had generated this into the public domain, which rather is unfortunate. Uh, a point of question, uh, our Director General, former Director General Senna ended on 1st October 2023. Oh, I see. So he's, yes, it's not that we are seeking for removal. What the workers are actually doing, uh, pleading the appointing authority not to renew or extend his contract and you do not want his contract renewed or extended because you think he has mismanaged the state broadcaster. Yeah, that that has been the reality on the ground. A factual one if you ask workers from various divisions, various departments and units. Uh, basically to work with us some of the challenges that workers face really. Uh, basic tools like uh printers, toners, microphones. Headphones, cameras, and on so many things. Can mention the list is tall. These are some of the things that uh, for the first year, I think uh, we were just not putting uh, our, uh, well, what we expected was not what we, we've gotten. And workers were agitating behind the uh, closed door for some time now, about two or a year ago. But the union wanted to change the narrative that there is wrong impression or perception about GBC workers 
to the outside public that any time their chief executive or director general board is appointed, they always ask them. So we want to say that let's wait when the four-year tenure is ended, then uh, we will be asking the appointing authorities to respectfully understand the governance system of an organization that over a thousand workers of GBC states, they are not satisfied with the uh, four-year tenure of the director general. And so pulling that, they didn't want to put it to the public, they didn't want to even write a petition, there was agreement to that, but what we're concerned is that we don't want our issues to come to the public. We want a former director general, whatever the case, if he's leaving, should be in a peaceful manner, but not to be the public as we witness. But management brought this on uh, onto the public by uh, severing the working relation with the union at illegality that we considered on our uh, humble opinion. So, and it came to the one of the newspapers and we had to uh, brought apprehension among GBC workers and not even GBC workers alone. Because that decision, if it's up to be upheld, it will affect the general union or trade union activities in the country. That any management or uh, obligation can decide that today, I don't like your face. So if you're a division, we don't want to work with you, we want to relate to your mother union. Some, I, 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 I think that the concern really has been that for, for the past years, as far as you know, people, a lot of people can remember from the days of Ivaloko till date, you know, the, the union or the workers have always had issues with their with their director general. So they raise an issue, they rise up in arms against the director general, and eventually the director general is, is changed. It's been happening over the period, mm-hmm. and, and is it not? And, and it's, it's always the same. Is it is it that it's a systemic problem that the director the, the directors or the director generals directors general I think uh, um, are unable to solve or what is it because it, they all cannot be 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 this incompetent it 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 surely should be something about the system which you workers should help them resolve for example uh, people say that a lot of your people don't go around and collect money for for airtime sold internally generated funds i mean you struggle to raise meanwhile gbc is is huge and covers everywhere and 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 there's a potential to make a lot of money so the workers must also take part of the blame every time director general must be chased away he's chased away another one comes is the same problem don't you think the problem really is within now, if, if you you pay attention to my list of mission i categorically stated that yes that perception that has been there that is why this time round our director general was allowed to run a four-year peaceful tenure. The union cooperated very well from the beginning. In fact, uh, at time when we realized that certain challenges that uh, there's uh, difficulty from management coming, the union coming to, to support in certain ways. I said, yes, revenue generation or revenue collection to collect debt and all those. <laughs> My brother, it's all about down to tools to go and do very little. For example, marketing. The traffic in Accra, sometimes one car, and one car, sometimes when they, 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 they car, there's a battery problem, when they car, there's fuel. So many challenges that inhibit a worker. So if you give a target to a marketing staff without providing the tools, how would that person deliver? Now, going forward, one of the things that you read that's very important to the appointing authority to pay attention to is why is it that 
there's always challenges with uh, management or the director general. I can tell you, broadcasting industry is a very complex one. And for that matter, GBC is more complex because it's covered account, uh, across the country. Uh, we believe that when we are appointing somebody, it must be an industry player who understands the dynamism, the business of the job, and all those things. And sometimes we feel that when people are brought, uh, they, they rather are they using the place as a setting ground. So it, it became a very big challenge and difficulties. And sometimes uh, a situation like this could have been better from government purposes that the appointed authority, especially NMC, could have uh, done their own findings from the workers and all those things. Not even Accra, across the country, uh, the performance, the delivery. Because we, we have been working over the year with various management. So we can be able to tell that this uh, previous management would do this. If you come to GBC, you will see even sometimes there are some conversations. There are certain particular directors, former director general. Workers mention all the time. So all is not that we didn't get all the directors general that have been GBC or not. We, we have people that we normally mention. If we come here, the affecting generation will mention this particular director, the other generation will mention this particular director, and then another generation will this one, then we compare and construct. There was a sharp difference. Some people can associate themselves with the former director general, Bethel Appinson, uh, with the, his board at that time, Mr. Mate, was one of the finest moments for GBC, but the attendance was very short. Some people associate themselves with Appinson, among others. So it is not that. People just don't like the face of a chief executive. But if we are working, we are working and holding in trust on behalf of Ghanaians, the Ghana broadcasting or the public uh, broadcaster. So in all this, we also think about the future of this organization. Who doesn't want to work in a proud organization? Mm. When you go, you go both better, yes. Yes. So, 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 so beyond yeah, beyond mounting billboards and and banners, you know, within the the or the, or the precincts of the, uh, uh, the, the 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 state broadcaster, what else are you doing? Have you petitioned the employer or the appointing authority? What else have you done beyond you know the, the union expressing its uh, uh, its its uh, desire to see uh, the man's appointment not renewed or extended? Yes, one of the things that workers the world over does, or any human being that is to raise an, an alarm or a let's draw an alert. Red flag is one of the forms that you draw attention to your appointing authority. When they ask what is happening in all those, because we were surprised while we were hearing this rumor about the uh, contra attention of the director general, because um, we feel that it wasn't being the posting sometimes. Uh, of local conversations, somebody who will be willing to go back to the university than the uh, pressure that being brought to him. So it is surprising. And some of us thought, oh, by the end of the 1st October, the four-year center, I don't think there will be a need for that. But while you're saying that over the years, sometimes when NMC want to do that, they, they reach out to stakeholders and major stakeholders like the workers through their union. And unfortunately, this time round, for the first time, NMC, GBC uh, board has some uh, union rep in it from mm. CUC or PSWU. Mm. 
But unfortunately, this back, there was no union rep in the board. And the NMC attention had been drawn to that, but a letter was written to the TUC to draw the attention. And nothing had been done about it. So there was that vacuum there. GBC, uh, you know, is not a union that would just get up and fight. We also worry sometimes about our news on the public, not for any good reason, but for all these things. Very well. And some of these, some of these also serve a purpose. It's even prevent the the, the, the organization from total collapse. I'm telling you. Very well. Some of the agitation might not be good. Others accept this cooperation. So uh, as we see, we are working in a private media organization, but you are also a shareholder, a state. You hold a stake in GBC. Surely. So whatever goes on, you might, it might be your attention and the all Ghanaians, peace-loving countries, people who want Ghana to develop and democracy as can, we need to partner and develop this country. Very well. Must be, must be happy to see a better Ghana Broadcasting Corporation. Thank you. Thank you, Samuel Nathaniel Kevo. Uh, and the, and the, unfortunately, the... you see, the union don't want to do this hostility. Hmm. We pass due process. It's Very well. just to know that by the time we came to work today, the rest that we hosted have been removed. This is mm. not the first time. Uh, we've taken... So you've got, uh, got to put them back. Ourselves. You've got to put them back. <laughs> so well, obviously, it, means, it, it doesn't mean that the Director General also has supported. So it appears that one section no, of the, of uh, the organization supports him, that, another... It's, 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 a, it's there's a divide and group. That has also not helped in the organization. Divide and group give back to victimization. And there are few people who will always be loud defending the system as to what they see different, what major silent majority is finding it difficult to. Uh, see I see. They, 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 they have a right to, to express him the same way you're also expressing your your this management stuff. Very well. Thank you Not so much. What people's personal interest is, is uh, paramount. <laughs> I, I see. Thank you so much, uh, Samuel Nathaniel Kevo, divisional chairman of the Public Sector Workers Union of the Ghana Broadcasting. Uh, corporation. Thank you so much for speaking to us on Eyewitness News. Akusia. The aggrieved customers of the now defunct Gold Coast Fund Management Company and the Finance Ministry have agreed on a two-week grace period. The time is to allow the ministry engage the Attorney General and the Securities and Exchange Commission regarding a liquidation order court case by Gold Coast Fund Management, uh, which will lead to the release of their frozen funds. The Finance Ministry maintains that the funds cannot be disbursed until the court uh, concludes its case, but the group claims the ministry has also pledged to advocate for them on humanitarian grounds. Addressing the media after a two-day picketing at the ministry, the convener of the group, Charles Nyame, expressed confidence that the engagements will yield positive results. The two-day map is that they are going to engage the attorney general and the lawyers of SEC and Securities and Relations Commission and two of our reps will be part of that meeting and we will trash that issues out to know whether uh, they can fast track the court case or whatever. And again, on humanitarian grounds, we pleaded that our money should be paid in full and he promised that he is going to also discuss with the government that on humanitarian grounds, what could the government do for us and we will get response to these roadmaps in the next two weeks when we meet so that is how far we have come though we are not fully satisfied but since our grievances have been heard and we have been promised that in the next two weeks we'll get 
our information on what we concluded on and subsequent meetings will be held. We are looking forward for them to come out positively to our demands. That was convener of aggrieved customers of the now defunct Gold Coast Fund Management Company, Charles Nyame. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. City Business News and Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. I am Akusia Autry. Let's settle for the details. The International Monetary Fund uh, resident rep in Ghana, Dr. Leandro Medina, has clarified that the growth rate for the country has not been revised to 1.2% from the May 2023 forecast of 1.5%. Dr. Medina explained that the latest IMF World Economic Outlook projection of 1.2% growth for 2023 is based on an old set of projections that do not take into account the recent data releases that showed a higher growth rate than expected at the beginning of the program. He added that based on the findings of the first ECF review uh, that just ended last week, the IMF staff assessment is that the growth projection for 2023 will be revised up from the 1.5% uh, previously assumed. Various media portals reported that the IMF had lowered Ghana's growth rate to 1.2%, making it the second time the fund had revised Ghana's gross domestic product uh, for 2023. But Dr. Medina, in a statement, clarified the issue. Away from that, the dean of the University of Cape Coast Business School, Professor John Gachi, is calling for a greater emphasis on the productive sector to ensure that a reduction in the inflation rate is reflected in the general prices of goods and services in the country. The inflation rate has decreased for two consecutive months with the current consumer price index for the month of September standing at 38.1% according to the Ghana Statistical Service. Speaking to City Business News, Professor Gachi emphasized the need to focus on sectors contributing to the surging inflation as part of the path towards economic recovery. If we see the drop in inflation, uh, at the same time we see enhanced productivity in the economy, focusing on the key areas that are problem for inflation, then we are hopeful that something positive is happening. If we just want to see a drop in inflation for a drop sake, then we aren't going anywhere. We want to see this drop in inflation uh, accommodated by enhanced productivity and uh, not only enhanced productivity, but see the business environment very accommodating and attractive. Uh, as it is now, a drop in inflation uh, does not brought, does not actually bring about a reduction in lending rate to the business environment, uh, the business community. So that is a, a, a sort of worry. So until all this uh, begin to work out, uh, we, we, we can conclude. 
economist and dean of the University of Cape Coast Business School, Professor John Gachi. Now, economists are raising concerns over the $500 million seed capital intended to be invested in the Ghana Financial Stability Fund to support financial institutions grappling with the impact of the domestic debt exchange program. They have accused the government of neglecting the fund for an extended period and argue that the amount allocated to the fund is ins insufficient. One of these economists is Dr. Patrick Assuming, who in the City News uh, interview advocated for a more substantial capital infusion uh, to help financial institutions recover from the impact. Well, I'm not sure that it will be enough to put in the, the difficulties that the banks uh, have gone through. Don't forget that since the original GDP, the, there's been new debt restructuring measures that are even going to compound the problems that the bank has had. We've had the foreign the restructuring of the foreign you know, uh, dollar-denominated uh, domestic bond issues. We've had the cocoa bills. And then even the domestic city bond, the, we are doing more DDP. So I'm not sure that that money is, would be enough. And it should have, in any case, it should have come way earlier than it is coming up. But I guess, I mean, if you're a financial institution in this country, you know, any additional, any support that you can receive by way of forbearance or helping to throw up your books would be welcome. Dr. Patrick Isuming is an economist. Now, members of the Tanka Owners Union have expressed their intention to closely monitor the operations of the Chinese-owned Centio oil refinery, despite the engagement of the National Petroleum Authority in resolving their concerns. The union alleges that the refinery has imported 300 trucks to begin its petroleum haulage business, which, in their opinion, may pose a threat to local businesses operating in the same sector. In an interview with City Business News, lawyer Kwame Jantua, a member of the union, emphasized their determination not to allow a foreign company to overtake their business. It was the union who discovered these trucks. It wasn't the MPA. It was the union who discovered these trucks, these 300 trucks. And so surveillance, we will tighten. That one, we don't need to tell you how we are going to do it, but surely we will tighten it because people's daily breads are going to be taken out of their mouth and we can't afford that to happen. Even currently, as I said to you, it's difficult uh, for the haulage companies to do uh, uh, deliveries every month. They can't do more than 10 deliveries. The most they do is two or three. So it isn't something that we will sit idle. We'll monitor and we'll make sure that we monitor with MPA, who are the regulator. That is where our concentration is, MPA, regulator. But if it so happens that it continues, then we would have to advise ourselves as to our next steps. Lawyer Kwame Jantua is a member of the Tanka Owners Unions. Now, before we go, the National Petroleum Authority has sanctioned seven petroleum products and marketing companies for illicit distribution of petroleum products. They are to pay fines for violating of uh, unified petroleum pricing uh, fund regulations, making false representations to the authority and also engaging in third-party suppliers. A failure by the affected companies to pay the fines will lead to a three-month suspension of the operations. 
In the case of Andev Coal Limited, it will pay a total fine of 90,000 Ghana cities, or this comprises 10,000 Ghana cities for violating regulations and 10,000 Ghana cities each uh, for eight counts of making false representations to the authority. In the case of Beep Energy, they will pay a fine of 20,000 Ghana cities, comprising 10,000 Ghana cities for violating uh, regulations and also 5,000 each for two counts of third party supplies. Well, that's how we wrap tonight's edition of City Business News on Eyewitness News. We have details of these stories and many others on our website, citybusinessnews.com. I am Akusia Ochoi. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Welcome to the Point Blank segment of Eyewitness News. 20 minutes to the top of the hour. Tonight on Point Blank, President Akufuado wants the US and other Western countries to provide ECOWAS with the needed resources to fight terrorism in the sub-region. The President says it's a, it's a fraction of the resources put together to help Ukraine in its war against Russia is given to ECOWAS terrorism in the region would have been addressed. Speaking on Ghana's leadership in peace building in West Africa in, at the United States Institute of Peace in Washington, D.C., President Akufuado says fighting terrorism is a collective effort. I'm privileged and honored to be with you here this morning at the United States Institute of Peace, having the opportunity to deliver this speech in front of a distinguished audience, which I believe is willing to engage in an open and frank discussion about our shared commitments and to address the issues that affect the survival and prosperity of this and future generations. I'm aware that I've come to Washington at a sensitive time in the life of this great city. For apart from the daily repercussions of having to deal with the consequences of Russia's 18-month-old aggression against the sovereign nation of Ukraine, the city has now to cope also this week with the effects of Hamas's violent invasion of Israel with all its repercussions for peace in the Middle East. Ghana, like all civilized countries, is firm in her support of Israel and indeed of Ukraine 
in these difficult moments of their national survival. It is against this background that I've come here from Accra to speak on this prestigious platform about democracy and security in West Africa. I'm, however, comforted in doing so in the knowledge that the inhabitants of this city are aware of the global responsibilities of their nation in upholding freedom, democracy, and security, not just here at home in America, but also across the whole world. Ladies and gentlemen, there should be no disagreement about the intensity and scale of the challenges that confront our world and the urgent need to address them. We all agree that the world is in turmoil and we're confronted with perilous situations. Terrorism and violent extremism, climate change, food insecurity, political stability in parts of Africa, post-election violence, health pandemics, energy crises, rising commodity prices, geopolitical war in Ukraine, amongst others, have weakened the foundational pillars of multilateralism. There has never been a time where all these malevolent forces have combined in such a manner to bring hardships to the world. We are indeed operating in the most challenging and difficult of times. The interlocking challenges and the convergence of crises we face post existential threats that require our media solidarity and collective actions. The challenges we face are many and diverse, but I intend to use this morning's opportunity to highlight briefly two of the most significant issues testing the African continent's resolve. Terrorism and violent extremism in the Sahel and coastal West Africa and its impact on security and the regression of democracy in parts of Africa. I've chosen to focus on these issues because we have virtually run out of time to work together in the spirit of multilateralism. If we do not re renew our commitments to build, keep, and consolidate peace and democracy all over the world, we would have to brace ourselves to live in a new and more dangerous world today and in the future. In Ghana, political instability in the early decades of our independence, and we became notorious for sampling every and any type of political experiment. The instability was coupled with the collapse of the economy and led to the exodus from the country of many of our citizens and professionals. I'm happy to state, however, that for the past 30 years of the Fourth Republic, we have enjoyed political and democratic constitution and experienced the longest period of stable constitutional governance in our hitherto tumultuous history. The separation of powers is now a real phenomenon in Ghanaian life promoting accountable governance. The fight against corruption has gone beyond propaganda and is demanding of public officials higher levels of acceptable conduct.
efficient public services are now within reach. We have in this period experienced through the ballot box the transfer of power from one ruling political party to another on three different occasions in conditions of peace and stability without threatening the foundations of the state. The Ghanaian people have manifested in this era their deep attachment to the principles of democratic accountability, respect for individual liberties and human rights, and the rule of law. It has also brought with it more or less systematic economic growth and boosted immensely our self-confidence. We're making systematic advances, especially if you consider that we have just celebrated our 66th independence anniversary and we're able to say that we are indeed making significant progress. For the first time in a long while, young people can make long-term plans and live out of their dreams without interruption. In much the same way, businesses can think ahead, begin to think big and be certain that the laws of the country are not subject to capricious changes. We're all much more relaxed in the knowledge that we live under a regime of the rule of law, and that when disputes arise as they would in all human endeavors, they would be settled fairly. We have not gone to this stage easily and without difficulties. I would mention in particular the electoral process as the greatest potential instability. The trigger for many wars and disputes around the continent can be traced to dissatisfaction, want of elections. We in Ghana have gone through our own traumas about elections. There have been boycotts, there has been anger, and there have been famous election petitions before the courts. I say, however, we have a reliable electoral system which is systematically improving and deserving of the growing confidence of the people. We know that the electoral process remains for many African countries one of the weak links that pose security threats to our democracies and the stability of our governance. But ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest threats to our democracy has to be the proliferation and sophistication of terrorist networks in Africa. They should not only be a source of great concern to the continent of Africa, but they should also be of concern to the rest of the world. Even more concerning is the fact that these terrorist groups are evolving by the day as they scramble to control more territories and natural resources, especially in peripheral communities where the lack of effective state presence and control creates conditions for penetration and ultimately radicalization. Africa has become the center of attractions which are multiplying in the region, following defeats suffered in other parts of the world. Nowhere is this more evident than in the Sahel. In addition to the numerous attacks, orchestrated by these armed criminal gangs. Their presence in the region fuels violence along communal and sectarian lines in countries such as we're witnessing Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger. And in the insecurity engendered by the armed groups has resulted in rising levels of displacement 
of populations in many parts of the Sahel. The fight against terrorism has to be a global fight. We must pull all our resources together to confront a common enemy. The resources dedicated to counterterrorism have to match the resources available to the terrorist groups. The menace caused by terrorism is such that we must share the burden of the fight to be able to incapacitate the terrorists. Our failure to do so leaves the entire world in danger of a spillover effect of terrorism and violent extremism. This is a time for a global coalition of democracies, a coalition of the willing, determined to banish the specter of terrorism and violent extremism. The 11 member states of the 15 member states of ECOWAS, the four military-led states having been suspended, despite the, the considerable economic difficulties confronting each of them, have made clear their willingness to take the fight to the terrorists if they were sufficiently empowered. The terrorists, as we all know, were chased out of the Middle East and Afghanistan before taking refuge in Muammar Gaddafi's Libya, from where they fled across the Sahara to find refuge in northern Mali after Gaddafi's downfall. They have spread their pernicious influence eastwards and southwards with the coastal states of West Africa, their ultimate destination. They can be chased out of West Africa and the Sahel too. Foreign troops would not have to be involved. West African troops can do the job. The Accra Initiative is a good example of indigenous self-help. Comparisons, they say, are odious, but some cannot be ignored. On Ukraine has elicited, according to my information, some 73.6 billion United States dollars in American support for Ukraine. 138.8 billion United States dollars from the European Union and its institutions, and 14.5 billion United States dollars from the United Kingdom. On the other hand, the security assistance from the US, the EU, and the UK to ECOWAS have in total, in the same period, amounted to $29.6 million. Unfortunately, the disproportionate impact of the COVID-19 pandemic has left many countries and regional bodies, particularly in the Sahel, in very dire economic situations. This has compounded the challenges we face in the mobilization of resources to fight terrorists in our backyards. This is the time we must therefore, in chapters seven and eight, of the UN Charter are put into full effect to help provide the support required to deal with violent extremism. Not time for the Security Council to be downplaying its commitments in the area. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot gloss over recent happenings in the democratic space when discussing the challenges of our time. The resurgence of unconstitutional changes of government in some parts of Africa creates a leadership vacuum 
which inhibits our efforts to dis address the security problems facing the continent. We'll see military takeovers in Guinea, Burkina Faso, Mali, Niger, and Gabon, and a failed coup attempt in Guinea-Bissau. Military takeovers explode democratic governance in Africa. With these takeovers taking on a now common pattern. The problem we have, and this would apply to most countries on the continent, is that we have already lost so much time that we cannot afford a slow period of growth. We have a dynamic, restless young population who demand and deserve the best in the world. They're not in a mood to wait for the dividends from a slow progression as the trek across the Sahara vividly illustrates. The pressing challenge for us in Africa is how we negotiate successfully the interface between elections and democratic governance, institution building and development, poverty and economic growth, stability and jobs, with the overriding objective being enhancing the dignity of the African. There's little doubt that the extension of term limits by some leaders to strengthen their grip on power creates fertile grounds for military interventions to feed on discontent. Dealing with the problem of coups, therefore, may well start from the civilian governments, which have the primary responsibility to build trust in the democratic dispensation in these challenging times. There should be no backtracking backsliding in support for democratic values anchored on the promotion of the rule of law and respect for human rights. And when the coups do happen, we must extend collectively the needless support to the transition process, including in the Sahel, where the military, having tasted power, seem reluctant to restore democratic rule. There is also little doubt from abroad, especially in digital media and sometimes offline media, to assail democratic institutions of information and disinformation campaigns. It appears to be the prelude for another great power scramble for Africa. Ladies and gentlemen, the United Nations Security Council has a most important role to play in confronting the challenges I have highlighted. The Council is constrained by its anachronistic structure and methods which endeavors to tackle contemporary challenges in the most effective manner. The conversations around reforms which have been going on for three decades without an end in sight must therefore yield real changes to the structures of the Council to make them innovative in approach. The current structure of the UN Security Council represents a long-standing injustice towards the countries of Africa, and the time is long overdue to address it. It is obvious that the contemporary world has moved on significantly from the post-1945 world which gave rise to the birth of the United Nations and the, security of the and the structure of the Security Council. The world of 2023 
and even less so that of 2050, is not the world of 1940. The crisis of the multilateral financial institutions and the United Nations system, which were born from the rubble of the Second World War, is a deep crisis. It will continue until a fair system is put in place, a system that reflects the new balances, no longer based on who lost or won the Second World War, but on the major contemporary and future balances. So you heard President Akufuado speaking in the U.S., speaking in the U.S. at the U.S. Institute for Peace, calling for support for the ECOWAS sub-region in its fight against terrorism. This is our show for tonight. Earlier you heard Akosi Autry, show produced by Nana Kobna Wilson, Beverly London, and Sami Biafi. Social media support given by Edwin Kwakofi. Technical assistance by Daniel Squashy. My name is Salom Adunu. Have a good evening. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.